Welcome to the Word to the Wise, Why Standards Matter, a podcast series brought to you by UL Standards and Engagement. This season, we shift our focus to gender in the development of safety standards. For gender-responsive standards to become a reality, what are the tools required to ensure they're universally applicable? Today, we look at the development of more inclusive language or terminology both by Standards Development Organizations, or SDOs, as well as industry stakeholders who put them into practice. Joining us on this episode are Mohammad Ali, Senior Standards Strategy and Policy Leader at HP Inc., who leads diversity and inclusion efforts in the Industry Standards Program Office, and Caroline Treithard, Project Manager of Standards Engineer at UL Standards and Engagement, who works with stakeholders, industry, and SDOs to develop impactful standards. Ali and Caroline, thank you for joining us on this Word to the Wise podcast. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. Could you both tell us a bit about what you do in your organizations, especially around developing more inclusive practices with respect to standards development? Sure. Thanks again for having us here. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. I mean, I can give you a quick intro into what we're doing here at UL Standards and Engagement. So. Regarding inclusive language, we're currently in process of developing our own internal guidance for this approach, and that means drafting everything from documents for handling our in-house policies and procedures, as well as planning for how we want to approach this topic in our standards catalog. I myself, I am a member of the inclusive language team that has been tasked with developing this guidance. And so this team is in its infancy, and we've just begun drafting methods for how to introduce and implement the updated terminology. And in this stage, we're having to review and define our approach. It's really understanding the why of inclusive language to ensure that we reach the intended impact of the how. So that includes educating our staff, our stakeholders, on why we're choosing to go down this journey of inclusive language, and then, you know, kind of determining the best ways to have these terms implemented into our existing standards. Thank you for having me. I work for Industry Standards Program Office, responsible for managing the overall external standard engagement and leading HP strategic standardization efforts in U.S.-based standards organizations. HP participates in over 55 standards development organizations, trade organizations, consortia, and fora, with over 400 experts involved in standards development. Creating a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion has long been integral to HP's success. And we think that diversity and inclusion at all levels drive innovation and performance. Internally, I lead internal outreach efforts on diversity and inclusion for our office, and we actually have recently launched an internal toolkit for our experts participating in standards development activities. You know, we started out on these efforts within our office by understanding our current demographics of uh, our participants, and then coming up with a plan on how to expand diversity within standards development activities. So one of the outcomes of that plan was a recently released internal toolkit to educate our internal stakeholders on United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, specifically SDG 5 on gender responsive standards and inclusive terminology, relevant industry standards efforts, and then 
also providing them the guidance on creating and finding gender-responsive standards. And as both of you do these really interesting things, why has inclusive language become so important in the standards development process? What does it bring to the table? The standards de development is not really possible without the use of collaborative teams. We call them working groups in most of the standards development committees. And really, you know, effective use of inclusive language is essential to productive collaboration and really promoting diversity in, in standards development activities. And language that is racially, ethnically, and culturally inclusive is effective in promoting respect, reflecting diversity, and avoiding any kind of negative stereotypes. Standards, procedures, and any kind of relevant technical documentation is therefore a powerful tool for building inclusion and supporting diversity. There are actually currently efforts underway in majority of the STOs, major STOs, to create principles of inclusive terminology and other relevant policy documents pertaining to promoting diversity and inclusion at the org level. So in my view, standardization is really a key to challenging gender inequality and standards and the standards development process play a critical role in promoting gender equality. I absolutely agree and second everything that Ali has just said. As he noted, HP and others and us here at UL Standards and Engagement, it's our belief that inclusive standards will open that standards development process to a wider set of stakeholders. And our intention as an SDO is to build the best, most applicable, most useful standards that we can. And if our spoken language or our written terminology is preventing full participation from our stakeholders, if they in any way feel unsafe or unwelcome, we're not going to be able to develop that standard to be as applicable as much as we intend it to be. And so for us to do our jobs well and to serve the public by keeping everyone safe, you know, we need to have those traditionally marginalized voices at the table. And by incorporating inclusive language, we are going to create an environment where we welcome that wider array of voices. We include those experiences and hopefully more data actually to review and consider. And by inclusive data, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's data that covers a wider set of demographics, such as a pain threshold or a body dimension of a woman or a child versus men, which is typically the data points that we have readily available. And so with all of this included, this ensures that the science behind the safety in our standards is reaching more folks and helping more products and more systems be safe as it's more applicable to more people and in more situations. And yes, you go about making standards applicable and you go and try and bring all that data in. How do you engage existing groups or decision makers with the whole idea of making standards development language more inclusive and all-encompassing? That's a great question. And this is definitely a piece that we're still working on. And our executive team asked us this exact question not too long ago. So as we're kind of going down this path, first, you're saying, you know, what levels, like, how do you engage these different groups? Well, pretty much, we're going to speak to anybody that will listen. And as we're doing that, we're kind of figuring out the different the best ways, I should say, to approach these different groups. And so far, we've kind of 
been able to weed out two prongs of an approach, and I'm sure there's many more, but so far we've we've kind of stumbled upon two. And the first is is really education. And I think that education piece is going to be very dependent on who you're speaking to. So obviously, if you're speaking to executives or decision makers, you know, they're going to want to hear more of the business case. And if you're speaking to the grumbly folks who just think you're being reactionary to the situation going on in the world today, you know, you can kind of break it down in a different way. Um, to show it's just the difference of the way you approach it. And you can show some different things that way. So it's really all about the education piece. And luckily, internally here at, at UL Standards and Engagement, we have a group that specifically works with engaging our stakeholders. And so we've been working with them to develop a focus group. And these focus groups, um, we were asking you know, our stakeholders, what kind of information do you need to be engaged in this conversation? What do you think that you're going to need to make your best decision? And through that, we're hoping, you know, to develop a toolkit. And Ali, I might reach out to you after this and kind of see how you're doing on your toolkit. So that's, that's the first approach is definitely education. And then the second prong is the implementation. So as we're kind of sharing this message with our stakeholders, a lot of the feedback, I should say, pushback. You know, if we if we do get pushback, it's usually they're concerned with how we're going to do it. You know, are we going to do a copy paste and just ignore the application of the term where it is in the standard, for, for example. And so they really want to know what our plan is for implementing that. And that's where we're trying to engage them to have them be part of that conversation to make sure that the right word goes in and you know, is it is it a copy paste with just a word exchange? Is it rewriting the whole sentence? Do we need to reevaluate what we're trying to say? So it's it's. I think we have a lot of interesting conversations ahead of us, and I'm looking forward to it. And so, as you educate and have those conversations to implement more inclusive language, for the sake of our listeners, if you could just identify some terms or terminology that can be avoided or replaced by other more inclusive terms. Yeah, sure. Terminology should be clear and unambiguous, conveying only the intended meaning to all readers. And we can produce more inclusive documents by avoiding terms with negative connotations. So I'll give you some examples. Blacklist or whitelist. You know, these are some of the terms that are used in many technical standards currently. And these terms have the negative connotation of racial discrimination. So some of the alternative terms that, that we could use instead of blacklist could be blocklist, denialist, or droplist. Similar to that, for whitelist, we could replace that with allowlist, accesslist, or permitless. So you see that if you think about rewriting the text instead of directly replacing the non-inclusive term, it actually makes the text much more clear and allow you to replace the text with the more inclusive term. Um, I'll give you another example, master-slave. That's also a very common term that is used in many technical documents. The negative connotation there is human slavery. So alternatives to those terms could be main secondary, leader follower, or primary secondary. And, and so on. So, you know, these are just some of the examples to kind of give you an idea 
of what we're dealing with when we try to replace the non-inclusive terminology with inclusive terms. That's so interesting. And Caroline, you you'd alluded to the fact that you wanted to avoid any cut-based situation. So if you give us some examples of where it has worked and where more thinking may need to be developed. Yes, so we are still in the early stages of our implementation. So I do have a couple of examples. And so the first one deals with internally when we had originally introduced this to our team. We had done a brief introduction to inclusive language, speaking to the points that Ollie's made of how it's inclusive and we we want to kind of remove any sort of racial or colloquial language that isn't necessary or respectful. And our next step was to share, you know, a, a list of terms for everyone to review. And so we gathered the NIST list of words that they've put together as well as insights. And they've got a pretty comprehensive list. And we shared that with our team and we said, you know, if you've seen any other terms in the standards that you work with, you know, go ahead and add them to this list and we'll we'll review it. And one of the feedback, one one set of feedback that we got from our team members was that we were being woke and that we were trying to soothe white guilt. And so I I was not expecting that response by any means. And I was like, okay, all right. So first, we realized that we didn't do a very good job explaining why, right? We, we needed to do a better job with that. But the second thing, and what I think is very important, and what I was mentioning previously is, is the implementation. So I called that team member, we had a lovely conversation. And I just kind of asked them to explain more, like what were their concerns? What were they thinking we were going to do? So I could explain what we were actually planning on doing. And it really came down to they had, I guess there was a previous event where UL had tried to do this before and they just did a copy paste and it didn't make sense in context. And so we definitely don't want to do that. I guess that's one example of like it started out well, it kind of got <laughs> bad and then it kind of got better again. <laughs> so, but a, another one, we're going to introduce this as well for the first time to our technical committee. And I've shown the presentation to the group and we're going to talk about it here in a couple of weeks. And the feedback I've gotten so far is really positive, but they're like, but the words you're using, we don't mm. like. And I'm like, that's cool. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's see what the right word is. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of see how that conversation goes. Let's talk about it. I guess it is a very evolving and expansive exercise. So where can SDOs, Karen, that's where you come in, and the industry, Ali, that's where you come in, come together and collaborate better to make inclusive language universally applicable. The reason we ask is that we do have a complex mix of geographical, cultural, and other differences to take into account. How mindful must we be of these nuances? You know, there is definitely a room for collaboration here, and collaboration and coordination is essential in this activity. You know, there, there's several similar activities in progress at many standards development organizations. And the problem really arises if each SDO is coming up with different alternatives for the same non-inclusive term. Therefore, you know, I think coordination and collaboration is important to make this initiative successful via some sort of joint standards development activities, you know, using effective liaisons and maybe doing some sort of like a targeted outreach to to get the right stakeholders involved in the development efforts. Absolutely. And if I can add some 
some responses there as well. To build off of kind of what Ali was saying, we're in that same boat. We don't want to come up with terms that, you know, for example, the electrical committee for electrical panels, that kind of thing. We don't want to come up with words that they're not familiar with and that they don't agree to. So we are really looking towards other institutions to give us guidance. So we want that type of guidance from, say, the National Electric Code. And I know that's something that they're working on now. So we're involved with them to know what words they're going to propose and potentially put into their documents. And that, in turn, is what we're going to recommend to our technical committees. And we're going to point back to that. That's great, Caroline. I'm happy to hear those efforts. I think that's the way it should be done. Interesting. And how does this exercise really contribute to the larger mission of achieving sustainable development goals? By using inclusive terminology, you are actually contributing to the overall goal of gender responsive standards and therefore also contributing to United Nations Sustainable Development Goal, specifically SDG 5 on gender equality. ISO and IEC have both mapped their standards recently to UN SDGs, and you can actually now search standards meeting specific SDGs using their search tool. So, you know, these voluntary consensus-based documents incorporating inclusive terminology removes technical barriers to trade, builds trust, promotes safety, interoperability, and performance, while translating those ambitions from the UN SDGs into concrete actions. And what is the work that has gone in so far towards achieving those goals? Well, I know from our side, you know, as I've shared, we've done a lot of work internally, but we are reaching out, like as Ali had mentioned before, we don't want everyone stepping on each other's toes and kind of developing their own you know, path to success. I think it's definitely something that we all need to walk along together. So on the team that I mentioned internally, the inclusive language team, we have a couple members who are participating in insights. They're definitely a leader in this, as well as Ali just reminded me that we have (laughs) some team members on the ISO group. (laughs) But I myself actually sit on the IEEE P3400 work group. They are, the IEEE is working on developing an inclusive language standard specifically for technical terminology and communications. And so that's Again, that's we want them to be the leaders and we want them to kind of push that. But we are all, you know, all hands on deck and we're going to do everything we can to help them along that process. And so once they've got that standard, that's easy for us to take back to our technical committees and point to and say, all right, let's let's look what they've done. Let's look what ISO's done. Let's incorporate those into to the standards. I think it just helps kind of build the case. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to follow up on what Caroline just mentioned you know, besides Insights and IEEE, which both are working on national standard for inclusive terminology, as was just mentioned, recently ISO and IEC have also created a joint working group on inclusive terminology. And, and in fact, subclause 8.6 of ISO IEC Directives Part 2 explicitly requires the use of inclusive terminology in all ISO and IEC documents wherever possible. So, and I have mentioned this before, that many SDOs are taking up this initiative, but really the key is to ensure that we have this collaboration and coordination also going on. So this collaboration and coordination clearly is becoming a theme that's going to be important. Where should the focus now be 
to taking this mission of more inclusive language and terminology and standards development forward? I think the focus should be to not duplicate the efforts of other STOs, but to leverage and build on what has already been published and and really create an international standard on inclusive terminology. I think that's where we're, we have a gap there. We also need to ensure that standards development committees have the required training, tools, and resources to effectively implement the inclusive terminology because you can develop all the relevant standards and they can be published, but if, if, if it's not being used, then, you know, what's the value of it? So we, we really want to make sure that while we are working on this initiative of getting a standard out and publishing it, we also equipped the standards development committee members with the required resources for them to actually implement what's in the standard. I absolutely agree with everything Ali just said. We definitely need support in that. And I think having those international standards to refer to would definitely help. And I would say, I think my take on that is, is kind of building it to the next step is, you know, we're, we're a standards company, we write standards, our sister company uses standards, but it's really, it's also about a culture change. And that's kind of where I see the main step forward. So it's, it's just like learning a new language or trying to break a habit. Like I try very hard not to cuss all the time. And so you, you have to replace those words. And so this is just, it's a mind shift and you have to take your time and try to remember what the correct word is going to be. So I think we need to be pushing towards that main culture shift and have inclusive language in the way that we speak to our friends and our family and, and just use that kind of across the board. And, but we also need to allow that room for grace because people are going to slip up. So it, it's definitely a learning curve, but it's, I think it's something that we need to take bigger than just at work. I think it needs to go larger than that. So developing an international standards and culture change. Ali and Caroline, that was so interesting. Thank you so much for taking out the time to speak with us on the Word of the Wise podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Through Word to the Wise, we aim to have those conversations, build awareness and explore future strategies to increase women's participation in development of both standards and technical regulation. We will also explore examples of international standards that are truly gender responsive. Remember, you too can have your say. Just use the hashtag WhyStandardsMatter across social media and pose questions for us on the Word to the Wise podcast. And we will try to address those in future episodes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and like us on any of your favorite podcast platforms.